Welcome to the Faith Cup Podcast. We are glad you are here today. May God bless you in order for you to be a blessing to those around you. As we come to the fourth and final Sunday in Advent, we arrive at the precipice of God's good news that is breaking into the darkness of the world And we come to recognize that in its fullness, in its completeness, this good news message of Christmas that is a cause for great joy, that is to be for all people, is ultimately the news about God's great love for you and for me. In the birth of Jesus and everything that follows in the story of God's salvation, his life, his death, and his ultimate resurrection, God reveals to us an eternal, never-ending affirmation, an eternal yes to human life that is strong enough to take away the guilt and shame of sin to awaken us from what one author has described as the psychic numbing that has always been our primary means of coping with our own fear of death. In God's story of salvation, Jesus arrives on the scene, offering those who would say their yes back to Jesus the fullness of a life that is not bound by death, a resurrection life, and a life-giving spirit to be alive within them as a guarantee of that life that is, is yet to come, which then accompanies a living hope that this life can be ours today. It's not just a someday thing, it's a today thing, it's a now thing. And that even while we wait for its fullness and its completeness to one day become the life that fills the whole earth, we can even now begin to celebrate that that life is ours today. This salvation that Jesus reveals is not the action of an angry and a vengeful God. It's not about a God who has to appease his own wrath in order to prevent him from from flying off the handle and, and striking us down because of his displeasure for us. As if somehow God needed to change his feelings for you and for me in order to not kill us. In fact, the good news is just the opposite, isn't it? It's not anger and wrath that characterize the heart of God that's revealed in the Bible, but it's a deep, abiding, and eternal love that he longs to share and impart to the people that he's made and to every person that he longs to welcome into his family. Isn't that the words we see in John 3, 16 and 17, where the gospel tells us, for God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God's gift of eternal life in Jesus is thus synonymous with the love of God that he has revealed in Jesus. Love is the motive and the method of God by which he's chosen to save the world, including you and me. And the reality is that God is not changed in the process 
but we are. So in Jesus, we can begin to make the connection that the gift of eternal life in God is in fact the gift of being eternally loved by God. And it's in our coming to know this eternal, never-ending, self-sacrificing, unconditional love of God that he reveals in his son Jesus that we actually come face to face with who God really is. We come face to face with God himself. And so we become to realize, along with John's confession in 1 John 4, uh, verse 16, that he says, God is love. And those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Thus, the good news message of Christmas, brothers and sisters, that this cause for great joy that, that, that is for all people is the revelation not only of how God feels about you, but it's a revelation of God himself, of who he is. This mysterious God that nobody has seen has revealed himself to you and to me. And he tells us that his very nature is love. This is the deeper reality that we come to see expressed in the doctrine of the Trinity. Right? The one true God of the Bible is revealed as the three-in-one God where Father, Son, and Holy Spirit live eternally in a loving relationship with one another in perfect unity. I love how author Laura Cave in her Advent devotional says it. She says, God is not an enormous ego demanding worship. He is love because he is a community of persons loving one another ferociously, faithfully, and forever. Isn't that beautiful? God is not an enormous ego demanding worship. He is love because he is a community of persons loving one another ferociously, faithfully, and forever. And the good news message at Christmas and every other day is that it is this love that has come for us all. The challenge I want to suggest for us this morning is that as human beings, we don't often see or experience this kind of love in our own lives and in our own relationships. In fact, rather than the eternal self-giving love of God that is expressed in his triune nature as a community of united love and mutual generosity, isn't it true that more often we experience love as something that tends to be a little bit more transactional? I think our perceptions of love get clouded because we often have more of a, a bookkeeping type experience of relationships with those that we love where I will do for you if you also will do for me. But if I feel like you're not doing for me, then I'm going to withhold from doing for you because that's not fair. And so we end up in a more transactional approach to giving and receiving love with our fellow human beings. I mean, even at Christmas time, when we give gifts to one another, that's supposed to be a sign of God's generosity and giving to us the gift of his love in his son Jesus. Aren't they really more gift exchanges? If it's a gift exchange, can we really call them gifts? 
One pastor I worked with in California has said that more often the kinds of gifts that we're most familiar with giving as human beings are not true gifts, but gift for a gift gifts. (laughs) And because of our own nature and how we give and receive gifts for one another as more often gift for a gift gifts, We can struggle to fully comprehend and and, and to really wrap our minds and our hearts around uh, uh, the amazing love that God has demonstrated that is not a gift for a gift gift. In fact, the, the gospel says there's nothing we could ever do to repay the gift that God has given us. There's no gift that we can give to God that could ever balance accounts with him. And so we we also can find it difficult to express that same kind of self-giving love in our relationships with one another because we, we don't really know how it's done. We don't even know how to do that without the fear of actually losing ourselves. But can I suggest that that's the very invitation of the gospel message is that God invites us to lose ourselves in his love. We can run the risk of thinking of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross in a more transactional act of God, maybe on our behalf, but it's one in which he takes upon himself the payment for the debt of our sins. And while that in some ways is true, because of the transactional nature of our own ways that we tend to give and receive love as human beings, it can lead us into wrong thinking about the gift that God has actually given us in Jesus. Because if you think about it in transactional terms, a payment of debt has been made and it becomes more like a loan for money that was owed. But if it's a loan, then the borrower is in debt until they pay the loan back, right? But once it's paid back, then the two parties have no hold on each other anymore. There's no reason to be in relationship because it was just a transactional relationship. And I think too often that's how we approach our understanding of God's love for us, that it's a, a transactional love that now we have to spend our lives trying to earn back the gift that God has given us. But if God's love is only a a transaction for the debt of our sin, it can become more of an impersonal, spiritual banking transaction that requires a change in our behavior, but fails to truly capture our hearts. But the gift of love, on the other hand, is revealed to be an infinite never-ending desire that God has to reveal himself to you and to me and to invite us to experience the freedom and the joy uh, that, that we can have that love in our hearts and that that love itself can overflow in our relationships to one another so that it transforms our very experience of giving and receiving love as human beings and in life in this world. Ultimately, this means that however much God may have loved us already, and I would suggest that the the cross was about as far as God could go in demonstrating his complete and total love for you and for me, the reality is he still chooses to love us that much every day because that's who he is. And God doesn't change, but he wants us 
to be changed by that love. Any effort I might try to make to repay him is actually to misunderstand the nature of the gift that he's offered me. Yet how often can our efforts to to try and be good and to try and change our behaviors and to try and improve our relationships really just become a subtle way of trying to gain back control for ourselves to somehow think that we're supposed to manage our own lives and that if if we're just good enough and if we're strong enough and if we can change enough, if we can lose enough weight or if we can earn enough money or or, or if we can have enough friends that somehow we're going to be okay and that we'll be happy in life. And that God will be pleased with us. And and we'll kind of earn that love that he's given us on the cross. But ultimately, that kind of transactional debt repayment with God misses the point of his love. It lessens our dependency on God's forgiveness and grace. And really, it becomes a distraction to the kind of relationship that God is inviting us to experience. I think that's why the Apostle Paul said in Romans 13, 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. In fact, the Bible tells us, doesn't it, that our only debt is a debt of love to God and love to others because that's who God has revealed himself to be and that's the gift he's given us. John 4, 7 and 8, right? Dear friends or beloved, those who are loved by God, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And so the Bible clearly teaches us that if we genuinely learn to love God and to love others with the love that God has shown us in Jesus, our holiness and our behavior will begin to take care of itself. Those are the the outcomes and the overflow of the change of heart that God's love works within us and manifests itself in the fruit of a life lived out of the love that God has for us. I think this is also likely why Jesus told us that the greatest commandment is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. In the less familiar passage where he teaches his disciples this from Mark 12, 33, he says, to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Learning how to genuinely love God and love other people is more important than all the religious behaviors that you could do, all the tithing that you could do, all the times you could attend church on Sunday morning, all the things you could do to to build yourself up in others' eyes to make them think that you're a good Christian or you're a good person. To actually love people is more important than any of those things that you can do. Because we can do all those things And miss the point. And not actually be all that loving. And we can become, in God's name, the most critical, judgmental, unloving people on the planet. Which is the greatest tragedy of all. 
You see, in the Christmas story, we see that God doesn't come in fire and in judgment. God doesn't come with, with military might and with political power. He comes to us as a baby in a manger, humble and helpless, unnoticed except by a few poor shepherds living in the fields and, and some, some wise guys who, who traveled halfway around the world because they saw a star in the sky those crazy people. <laughs> but this child, this Jesus, who was there when the world began, who would endure death on a cross for you and for me, but who would be raised to newness of life as a, as a pioneer and a perfecter of a new kind of faith that we're invited to participate in, overcoming our very worst enemy as human beings, even death itself, did all of this in order to bring us into the, the loving relationship of a heavenly Father who loves us and who knows us better than we know ourselves and wants to forgive us and wash us clean and set us on a new path of relationship with him. Again, author Laura Cave says it this way, thus, when you place your faith in Jesus, you literally fall into love. When you place your faith in Jesus, you literally fall into love which is just as thrilling and terrifying and wonderful as it sounds, she says. But John 4, uh, 1 John 4, 18 says this, there is no fear in love, right? But perfect love casts out fear, drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. See, God's desire isn't to punish you. God wants to love you. But what does perfect love really look like? I mean, that's a high calling. Perfect love? <laughs> Author David Benner describes it like this. The God Christians worship loves sinners, redeems failures, delights in second chances and fresh starts, never tires of pursuing lost sheep, waiting for prodigal children or rescuing those damaged by life and left on the sides of its paths. Isn't that the God that we see Jesus teach about in the Bible? Isn't that the lessons that Jesus invited his disciples to understand when he said, live in my love and love one another and everything will come together in those two commands because it's ultimately men and women God's love only that has the power to transform a human heart. In love, he overcomes our fear of rejection. In love, he banishes our loneliness and says, I will love you and I will never leave you or forsake you. In love, we are suddenly found secure in the loving arms of a Savior. In love, we are capable of being a true friend to another person. In love, we learn that we can be okay even when everything around us is not okay. In love, God says, I love you the way you are right now. Don't go changing to try and please me. <laughs> I love you just the way you are. In love, God says... There's nothing you have to do to make me love you more, and there's nothing you can do that will make me love you less. 
In love, we discover that we can be humble and we can be happy with who we are today in the life that we have been given. In love, we can learn to be generous to those around us. In love, we can become more and more like God himself. And how do we enter into this kind of transforming love that changes the very nature and the behavior of who we are as human beings? We fall in love with Jesus. That's what the good news message is all about. That's what the invitation has always been and always is and continues to be. Are you interested in falling in love with Jesus again and again and again today? We humbly surrender ourselves to the love and the promises of God that will never let us go. And so, yes, our behavior changes, but not because we're performing in order to gain God's love or to earn his favor or to repay him for the debt that he's given that we can never repay. Our obedience becomes the fruit of a life overflowing with the very love of God that fills us to, to, to the point that we can no longer contain it. And all we can do is want to share it with people around us. Again, David Benner says, it is the response of the heart that knows. Since God is for me, nothing can come between me and the perfect love that surrounds me and will support me regardless of my effort, regardless of my response, or even regardless of my times of inattention. And don't we all have times (laughs) where we fail to pay attention? (laughs) Men and women... One of the gifts that we can receive this Christmas is to be reminded again, or maybe to realize for the first time, that the difference between striving to live a Christian life and surrendering to the love of God is like the difference between exhausting ourselves treading water and being able to lean back and relax and realize that God has given us the ability to float. And when you start to float, you're buoyed by the love of God, and you begin to sense the current of His Spirit, and you can go with the flow and trust wherever the Spirit wants to take you. The real challenge is that we live in a time where there's really not much room left for love. Like Joseph and Mary discovered in the darkness of night, There was no room in the inn. Thomas Merton, who is a Christian contemplative author, suggests that this is very much the spirit of the age in which we live. He wrote an essay called The Time of No Room. And he says, we live in a time of no room, which is the time of the end. The time when everyone is obsessed with a lack of time, a lack of space, With saving time, conquering space, projecting into time and space, the anguish produced within them by the technological furies of size, volume, quantity, speed, number, price, power, and acceleration. Does that not capture the world that we live in and the pressure that we feel to figure out how to navigate life in such a world where where we're being squeezed by the pressures of life until there's no room left 
for the love that God has, which expands the heart, which opens space, which creates hospitality, which invites us into the wide open fields of God's love. And we long for it. And God has said that you know the way to get there. And like his disciples, we say, we don't know where you're going, Jesus. How do we know the way? You remember his response? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But if we come to Jesus, if we say yes to Jesus, we open ourselves to that wide world of God's expanding buoying love that invites us on an adventure of life where Jesus said, it's not about the burdens that I want you to carry. It's about the joy I want you to experience. Too often our lives become so full of our own fear, our own anxiety, our own busyness, our own chasing after all the things that we think are satisfy us that there's no room for God in the end. We are filled and yet we are unfulfilled. And and there seems to be nothing ever that completely satisfies or fills that void within us. And yet Jesus commands his disciples, stay in my love, remain with me, abide in me, and all these things you'll find in your relationship with God through me. Henry Nouwen, in his book, The Life of the Beloved, said, Every time you listen with great attentiveness to the voice that calls you the beloved, you will discover within yourself a desire to hear that voice longer and to to hear it more deeply. It's like discovering a well in the desert. Once you've touched wet ground, you want to dig deeper. Brothers and sisters, when we begin to to be intentional about creating spaces within ourselves, within our own hearts, within our own lives to welcome the love of God and to, to pay attention to the Spirit of God and the voice of God through Jesus that calls you and me the Beloved, that's when we become filled to overflowing and we experience the life that Jesus has invited us to discover in him. Communities that are formed on the overflowing love of Jesus become communities of freedom and generosity and joy and communities of hospitality and welcome where there's always room for more weary travelers and there's always a seat at the table for those who are hungry. Rather than a mindset of scarcity and protection, the love of God becomes, as Jesus said to the woman at the well in John 14, the water I give them, he said, will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And as we said at the beginning, the gift of eternal life in Jesus is the gift of God's eternal love for you and for me. In a community of God's overflowing love, we learn to remain in the love of Jesus as we remain in loving community with one another. And the diversity, the unity and the diversity that we experience reflects the very nature and character of who God is in his unity, in his diversity of three three in one. 
And what we discover is even greater depth and breadth to the love that God has for us that we often struggle to be able to see within ourselves alone. We need one another to speak God's love over our lives. Advent is a season of waiting, and it's a season of anticipation, and it's a season of preparation. It's a time when we are once again invited to prepare our hearts to welcome the birth of Jesus into our lives and into our world. And our invitation again this season is to make room in your heart for love. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you patiently and faithfully and gently and ferociously Pursue us, to love us, and to remind us that that you don't desire to punish us, but you desire to bless us and to call us out of our own darkness and into your marvelous light. Forgive us for the ways, God, that we have been distracted by the things of this world and and that we have been cowered in fear from our own pain and our own suffering that that has led us to believe that, that we can't really live in that kind of a love, that we can't really be loved in that way by you, that we can't really find peace and joy and hope and happiness in Jesus. And set us on a new path again today, receiving through the birth of Jesus into our lives again this Christmas, the gift of your never-ending eternal love, which is itself the gift of new life in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Faith Cove Podcast. Our music was written, performed, and produced by Adam Johnson. For more information about our church community, visit faithcovesumner.com. Until next time!